0: Has anybody ever herded sheep or worked with goats or anything like that? Any of y'all ever worked on a ranch or some of that, Terry, you have? Okay. Getty, yeah. All right, I want to show you all this video. This is obviously a homemade video. I don't know who made it, but I thought it was kind of cool. And if you ever worked with sheep, you'll be familiar with what you're about to see here. So I don't know why, if you've worked with animals, you know, why do we come up with the weirdest, like, calls to, you know? (laughs) I remember on this ranch, we would call the horses and say, whoop! You know, like we didn't just say, it's food time. You know, you got to do some sort of whatever they did there so but that was cool wasn't it how the sheep only came and that's that's true if you've ever worked with animals like if they get to know you and they get to know that they can trust you that your call means is food there's good things about to happen right and you can have somebody do the exact same thing and they won't come They're, they're like they don't know you you smell weird you sound different right and You know, obviously the Bible talks about how Jesus is our shepherd, right? Like um, it says in Hebrews, he's the great shepherd of the sheep. In John 10, it says that he's our shepherd and we hear his voice. We come to know and trust his voice, right? And we follow him. And it's just like that, you know, like we are supposed to trust Jesus just like those sheep trust that shepherd. But what I want to talk about today is how when Jesus left, the Bible talks about that he left shepherds down here to take care of his flock, that God through his under shepherds, if you will, could take care of his church while he's gone, right? And they're supposed to look just like Jesus. They're supposed to be shepherds just like him. They're supposed to be kind, gentle, trustworthy. When the sheep hear the voice of the under shepherd, they're supposed to be able to trust it just like the voice of Jesus. Although we could never replace Jesus, we're supposed to be trustworthy like that, right? And these under-shepherds are called pastors. Now I don't know why we got the name pastor because there's like one, there's some verses in Jeremiah and in Ephesians in the King James that translated the word shepherd as pastor. And so I think that just kind of stuck. We're called called pastors. But the word pretty much in the New Testament is shepherds. Like people who take this position we're gonna talk about today are called shepherds because we're supposed to be following the chief shepherd. Um, Now, the reason I wanna where I'm talking about all this is because we're looking, we're working through Timothy, at least when I preach, right? And the passage we're talking about today is talking about Paul is telling Timothy to do a good job as a shepherd. He was a pastor at the church at Ephesus, right? And so he begins to like give him some instruction. Here's how you lead as a good pastor. And I think this is an important thing to camp on and talk about because for a number of reasons. First of all, because it's where we're at in Second Timothy. So I don't. Uh, I don't wanna just skip over it, but also because it's a good reminder for me and for Scott, like who we're supposed to be as we lead in this church. But I also think it's good for you guys to know what is the biblical definition of a pastor and like what are they supposed to be like? Because there's a lot of confusion around this topic in the church today, you know? How much authority does a pastor have? What makes somebody a pastor? Who gets to be a pastor? And all of those kind of things, right? And it's important because this is an office that has been abused in the church. Um, I'm not going to tell you this guy's name until the end. You guys might know who this is as I go along, but there was a church leader, and I think he was in the 1950s, okay? And he, like, leaders in the church can do a lot of good things and end up being really sketchy, not good people, right? And so it's important to have discernment about who, you're putting yourself under. I don't think you're supposed to just like, oh, well, they're a pastor. I'm just supposed to accept whatever they say. I don't think you're supposed to turn your brain off when you come into church, right? Like I think it's good to know what God expects of a pastor and not to become critical, but to become discerning, to use that knowledge to decide, is this person I'm under somebody who's trustworthy? Is this somebody I can trust with my family? Are they gonna be leading me in the right direction? You know, Like we need to be able to identify wolves and sheep clothing all of us. And so I here at Haven want to help with that. So there's this leader in the 1950s. He uh, he did a lot of good things, okay? So like as I was reading about him, I was like, man, this is somebody from the outside I might have really respected. So this was during a time when segregation was big, you know, but he had a racially integrated church. He's a white dude, and he had a lot of but he, it didn't matter. He had anybody and everybody in his church. He adopted kids of different races. One time, for whatever reason, he went to the hospital, and he got accidentally put in the black ward because it had different wards back then. And he refused to be moved, and he went around emptying the bedpans of all the patients and making their beds. I mean, really awesome stuff, right? But somewhere along the line, oh, and he was also heavily involved in charity, trying to help the community. But somewhere along the line, like he went way off track. Like he started denying the Bible. He started preaching socialism was the gospel. Um, And eventually he became kind of psychotic. He moved him and his followers went to Guyana, I think is how you say it, to build a compound there. Anybody know who I'm talking about yet? And they started hearing about human rights abuses in this compound. And so people tried to investigate. And this leader actually ordered some of his followers to kill the people, one of them who was a senator or a congressman, one of the other, to who came to investigate. They did that, not everybody died in that attack, so they were gonna take the news back. So he's like, all right, we're all gonna get shut down. And so he orchestrated the largest mass suicide in history. 918 people drank flavorade laced with cyanide. His name is Jim Jones, right? And that is awful, right? And I asked myself after reading the story, how did 918 people get deceived into drinking poison Kool-Aid? Like how did they get under the shepherd and why didn't they have the discernment to see that even amidst all the good things he was doing, there was character issues that were leading them down the wrong path? I don't want that to happen to us. Hopefully it'll never happen to a great extent, but it can happen in small ways, you know? I don't want us to be deceived. I want us to know what a good pastor should be. And again, I don't want us to become critical. I don't want us going around judging every pastor we see, but I just think it's good to know these things, right? Do you agree? So I want to look at that today. We're going to look at pastoring. If you have your Bible, I want you, I know we're supposed to be in 2 Timothy, we're going to get to that later, but first, to kind of look at this from a 30,000 foot view, turn to Ephesians chapter four. You can also turn to 2 Timothy chapter three if you want to have your finger in both of those, but... We're going to spend a little bit of time in Ephesians chapter 4, and we are going to go to verse, um, we're going to be in verse 11. All right. Now, in this passage that we're jumping in right into the middle of here, Paul is talking about how Jesus, when he went to heaven, he left gifts. He's given grace to every believer. Every believer has grace. Every believer has gifts. And then he begins to talk about this, which is really interesting. He says that, oh yeah, so the first thing I want you to see is that pastoring is a gifting, okay? If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Pastoring is a gifting. So Paul begins to talk about the gifts, and it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or pastors, and teachers. So, the offices of the church the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher these are not things that someone just decides, I want to be a pastor. It is first and foremost a gift that God gives to certain individuals to serve his church. If somebody is a pastor, legitimately a pastor, is because God has given them the grace and the wisdom to be a shepherd. It is a gift that God gives to certain people. Not everybody has the gift to be a shepherd, and we'll talk about that in a second. But this gift of pastor, as you can see, it's translated a shepherd for a reason because, and we're going to look at another uh, section here in a minute, but someone who's a pastor, is they are gifted to care and love and have the wisdom to guide people put under their charge. It's a very personal thing, right? Like, you know the story of the shepherd who had 99 sheep and he has the one that leaves and he goes after the one? It's that kind of heart. It's not so much of a, I want to direct a program and get a bunch of people here, but I don't really care if I know their names. A pastor's heart is somebody who cares to know the individuals, who cares to walk with them one-on-one. That is the heart of a shepherd, right? There's a difference between ranching and shepherding, right? If you're a rancher, you can have 1,000 cattle, and you don't know all their names. You might figure it out when one of them gets sick and you have to pay special attention to that one. But in general, as long as everybody's healthy, you're not really involved with their individual lives, right? But a shepherd doesn't have the ability to lead thousands. He's leading maybe a 100 maybe 50, and he knows them individually. Each one is important to him, right? Now, ranching is not bad, but if we're talking about gifted as a shepherd, that is what a shepherd is. It's someone who, here, let's look at this. In 1 uh, in Thessalonians, I think this is one of the greatest descriptions of a pastor that I know of in the scriptures. So check this out. Paul's talking about his heart towards the Thessalonian church. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So, When we read these things, like the Bible doesn't have a job description for pastors, you know, like hit this drop down link and here's a description for pastor. But when you study the Bible and you see this, here's Paul pastoring a church, you begin to understand the heart of a pastor, right? This is the heart of a pastor where like a father with his children, like a mother with her children, being affectionately desirous, not just wanting to share you the gospel, not just wanting to preach, but wanting to share our lives with you. That is the heart of a pastor, right? Right? And that is a gift. It's not something that you can just make up in yourself. God puts it in people to have this heart for their church. It is something that God does, right? So a deep concern, readiness to share. And so some things that stand out to me as I read this um, that I encourage you to write down just to have, if you were taking notes, under the uh, pastoring as a gifting. One thing you can see from this uh, thing we just read in Thessalonians is that character is more important than charisma, right? And that's something that's really important to me is you can have people who are really gifted in the pulpit. You can have people who are really influential and charismatic, they can draw a crowd. But at the end of the day, what you're really looking for in a pastor is somebody who's a person of character, right? Can they be trusted in their doctrine? Are they trustworthy in their character? Think of it like this. If you approach your pastor, and they, and you have a disagreement and you wanna talk with them about something, are they gonna go into rage mode, fly off the handle? Are they somebody who acts the same way in their home or with their buddies than they do at church, right? Because we live in a day and age where like, there's a lot of religious hypocrisy, right? People will be pastors of churches and they are not people of character. And that is totally opposite of what God looks for in a pastor. You could have somebody who can move crowds, but if they're not a person of character, ultimately their ministry is gonna fall apart. And that's what Paul said. He's like, you remember us. We were people of character. You remember how we lived. You remember how we worked. We can say these things to you with a straight face because you know who we were, right? Now, here's something else that is important and very interesting, actually. I think a lot of people don't think about this. Pastoring does not mean gifted at preaching, okay? There's a difference. Unfortunately, in our culture, we've conflated the two where if you're a pastor, you're a preacher, right? If you're a pastor, you're a public speaker. Now, every pastor is supposed to be gifted at teaching. That's part of being an elder, okay? But I could be good at teaching you something one-on-one, and I could be totally terrible at teaching from up here because of stage fright or, you know, talking for an hour is just not my jam or whatever. And so when you're looking for a pastor, you're not looking for somebody who really moves you every time they get in the pulpit, right? Somebody who is just flooring you with their preaching, who can draw a huge crowd. That's not the number one thing. The number one thing is who are they and the things that they do teach one-on-one or however they do it, is it good godly stuff that can guide you in the right direction, right? Um, It's very possible that some of the best pastors in all time were bad speakers. Even Paul said, uh, I think it was in 2 Corinthians that, like, he wasn't the greatest speaker, you know? But man, he could write to those Thessalonians and they knew who he was. They knew how Paul cared about them like a father cares about his children, how he would share his life with them, work night and day for them. That's the heart of a pastor, right? Now, um, another reason this is important to understand that pastoring is not the same as preaching is because because we have conflated the two in our modern day culture, there are some people who are not gifted as pastors, who are gifted at preaching, who are in the role of a pastor, okay? So what I mean, let's say somebody is gifted as an evangelist. They're really good at sharing the gospel. That's their jam. They love to get as many people under them sharing the gospel, okay? Okay but they, not, they may not be gifted as a pastor. It may not be their thing to really, like they may wanna tell people about Jesus, but really getting to know everybody and really like digging in with life with everybody, that's not really their thing. It doesn't make them a bad person. It's just, that's not the heart and gifting God has given them. They wanna, they're always seeing the people who haven't heard, the people who don't know, the druggie and the addict and all of that. Like they wanna go out, right? And once you're in, that's cool, but their heart is just for out, right? Now that's not bad, but imagine because of our culture that somebody with an evangelist heart says, man, I want to start a church. And so they become a pastor, right? And so as a pastor, they are always moving towards the next big crusade. They're always getting ready for the next big event. They can really draw a big crowd. But if you go to their church, you might find that you don't really feel discipled. And when you're going through something hard, you don't really feel that connection with the pastor. They're always doing something else. They're always doing something big, but you can kind of feel left behind, right? And again, it's not to dog on anybody who's in this, who's like an evangelist and not really gifted as a pastor, but it's important to understand because I think people go to church and they get church hurt. Like, man, I don't even feel like the pastoral staff cared about me. And it's not your fault. And in some ways, it's not their fault. Sometimes people are in the role of a pastor who aren't gifted as a pastor. Does that make sense? It would have been, they're a great leader, but unfortunately, because of the way we've defined pastors, somebody who's good at public speaking, somebody who can lead a group, sometimes we put people in the role of pastor who really aren't gifted as pastors, you know? And so that can lead people to hurt. It can lead to frustration. Um, It's the same with teaching. You could be really good at teaching, but you're not really good at the follow-up, the living life with people afterwards. And so people get hurt. They get frustrated. It's like, man, the evangelist is always reaching the loss, but I feel like, I mean, my pastor's always reaching the loss, but he doesn't really like, I don't really feel like he cares about me, you know? And that's unfortunate. And I encourage you, like, if you've ever had that experience in a church where you felt like you just got left behind, maybe consider that the pastor was operating in a thing that wasn't exactly where he fit in, you know? Maybe he had a gifting that was forced into the role of a pastor that it shouldn't have been. Just some things to think about. Um, so there's a lot of gifts, but pastoring is a special gift. And it's when we are considering who to make as a pastor, we have to consider not their charisma or their ability, but their heart and what has God put in their heart for the people and do they have the wisdom to walk in it? Okay. So pastoring is a gifting and it's also a calling. Um, cause see, here's the deal. You can't just wake up one morning and be like, I like people. I want to be a pastor, you know? Like, it is something that God gifts you to do, and it's also something he calls you to do. It's something that he puts on your heart and says, this is my job for you in the church. Um, And it is something that you're not supposed to do for any type of greedy personal gain. So look at this, what Peter says. Can you put me on a clicker? Look at what Peter says in the book of... you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So you see here in this passage, you don't do it out of compulsion. You don't do it because someone's pressuring you or because you feel like you should. It's something that you do because God wants you to, right? And you don't do it for personal gain. I know I've talked in here before about prosperity preachers who use their office to amass wealth for themselves. And that is totally opposite of what God calls a pastor to do. If you're called to be a pastor and you're gifted to be a pastor, you do it whether you get paid or not, right? You do it whether you get any kind of reimbursement or not because this isn't about whether you want to. It's saying God, it's like Paul said, he said, if I preach the gospel, I have a reward. Or what did he say? Oh, but he said, but if I don't preach the gospel, woe is me because there is a charge of the gospel laid upon me. God told Paul, you have to preach. This is what I'm commanding you to do. Someone who's called to be a pastor, woe to them if they don't fulfill God's calling on their life, right? It's not about greedy gain. They have a responsibility to shepherd God's flock. That's what God has told them to do. Now, I want to touch on something here that is important, I think, there's been a lot of confusion about how much authority does a pastor have in the church, right? There are some people who abuse their authority. Some people who say they have a lot. If you're in their church and they're the pastor, they can basically tell you to do whatever they want. And if you're not doing it, you're disobeying God because God put the pastor there and he's the authority. And if you're disobeying authority, you're not obeying God, right? And, uh, and so I just want to touch on that. First of all, How much authority does any just kind of pastor in general? Like if you're walking down the street and a pastor tells you to do something, you don't know him from Joe, Adam or whatever. Like if he tells you to do something, you don't have to do it just because he's a pastor, okay? Like the only time you're under a pastor's authority is if God tells you to be a part of that church, okay? You are not a slave to somebody just because they say, I'm a pastor. If God tells you to be a part of a church, then you're under their authority. If God tells you to leave that church, you're not under their authority anymore, okay? You never, like the pastor never supersedes God. You're always under God's authority. And if he puts you in a church under a pastor, you're under their authority. If he tells you to leave, you're not, no matter what that pastor says, right? Because you're under God's authority ultimately. Now, hopefully you'll be under a good pastor who will recognize that God is leading you somewhere else, but at the end of the day, it becomes between you and God. But okay, so now you're in a church and you're under a pastor's authority, How much authority does that pastor have over your life? You're in this church under Scott. How much authority does Scott have in your life right now? Some people say that he has a lot. Like, if he tells you you need to wear green socks to church, you need to wear green socks because God put that authority in place and you need to do what the authority tells you to do. That's a ridiculous example, but I'm serious. It's like, like real life examples, if the pastor tells you to quit your job, you need to quit and trust that God's going to provide for you. If God tells, if the pastor tells you there's a certain way you have to dress, you have to dress that way all the time because the pastor told you to. Like what, how much authority does the pastor have? And they'll use these kind of verses right here, okay? Because the Bible does say to submit to your leader. So it says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So they'll use verses like this and say, see, the Bible says you have to submit and it's just a blanket statement. So whatever the pastor says, you have to do it, right? I think though that this is a misunderstanding of the extent of a pastor's authority. Let me give you an example. Every leader has authority within their realm, right? So if I go to work, my boss can tell me what to wear to work. He can tell me how I'm supposed to do things at work, but the minute I'm not at work, his authority no longer has jurisdiction in my life, right? Uh, If you are, you know, there's so many examples like that for work, no matter what your job is, the the authority of that guy resides in the office, in the sphere that that authority has been given him. So for example, so what I mean is like with a pastor, His authority is in the things of God, but it's not in everything of all time. So a pastor has authority to tell you what to do in the things of God, but he does not have authority to tell you what to do in things that are not specifically commanded by God. Let me break this down. So anything that God says is right or wrong, I have the authority as a pastor to tell you this is what you should do, Or you shouldn't do. So if God says stealing is wrong and you're stealing, I have the authority to tell you, hey, you need to stop stealing because God says so. Because here's what we need to understand. A pastor's job is not to decide what he likes or what he thinks and tell you to do it. A pastor's job is to tell you what God says and what God thinks and tell you to do it. I'm just passing the message on from the chief shepherd to you, right? So anywhere where God has spoken definitively, I can give you a for sure, this is what you should do. But if there's anywhere where God has not spoken definitively, I can give you my opinion, but I can't tell you this is for sure what you have to do. If you come to me, if I think your job is uh, taking up a lot of time, and I feel like maybe you could spend more time in the church if you didn't have to work so much, But God didn't say anywhere in here, thou shall not work at this job at 2021 in Houston, Texas, right? So I can come to you and I can say, hey, this is my opinion on this matter. I think it's possible you're you're working too much. Maybe it would be better to spend more time fellowshipping with the body. I wanna encourage you to pray about that and take that to the Lord. I can give you my opinion. What I can't do is come to you and say, you have to quit this job because I say so. I don't have that authority because God has not, directly said that in the scriptures. Do You understand what I'm saying? This, there's a great example of this in the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, that is really neat. You put me back on the clicker. Um, so we're jumping into the middle of a conversation about marriage, but check out how Paul does this. Cause he wasn't one to just throw his weight around. He was under God's authority. So look at this. So he says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. So it's saying, this isn't my opinion. This is what God says. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Now look at this. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Moving later on into the passage Now concerning the the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And in this passage, he says, this is what I think will make you the happiest. This is what I think will be the best. But if you decide to do it different, you haven't sinned. There's not a direct command from the Lord on this, but this is what I think as someone who's walked with God and has wisdom. This is what a pastor should be, right? And there are pastors who have misunderstood the extent of their authority, who wanna control people's lives as if they have the right to do that. And that is not the authority God has given us. My job is to pass God's message to you and to tell you to do what God says you should do, minus God's job, right? In the areas where God has not given a specific command, I have hopefully wisdom from the Lord, we hopefully have judgment from the Lord that we can share with you, that you can learn from. But at the end of the day, where you go to college, what job you work, who you marry, those things are between you and God, right? And I'd encourage you to listen to wise counsel but don't let a pastor come in and tell you that you have to do something or you're in rebellion. When If somebody tries to do that, you hold out your Bible and say, show me the scripture and the verse. Tell them to do it because if they can't, they don't have the right to run your life in that area. It's just that simple, okay? And it's wrong for us to think we can exercise our authority in places where God has not given it to us. Amen. Now, pastoring is a responsibility. We have a great responsibility as pastors. Look at what James says. And remember, as we read this, elders or pastors are supposed to be able to teach. That's the role of an elder. Maybe not up here, but at least least one-on-one. So it says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And this is a serious thing, you know? It's like I've told you all before, If I am not living out the truth, and this is something that humbles me because I make mistakes, you know? I still have struggles. But if I'm not living out the truth and I'm trying to preach to y'all, like what a burden, what a a scary thing to be hypocritical and carry that before the Lord and be trying to act like a pastor and a leader, you know? Now, if you're in Ephesians, I wanna show you what our responsibility is. So So look at again at Ephesians 4 starting in verse 11, the one we just read. So it says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And I know we're only touching on shepherds right now, but everybody, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, they all have their role. We're just focusing on the shepherd today. But all of them are to um, work together to accomplish this one goal, okay? So the goal of the pastor is this. It is to equip the saints For the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, when I read this verse recently, I was like, wow, that's a lot of stuff in one sentence. Like Paul's like the king of run-on sentences, right? So I I made this little graphic here for you. Check this out. So the pastor's job is to equip you guys for work, okay? Okay. And the work you're supposed to do is to build up the body of Christ. So my job up here is to equip you guys to get to work in loving and serving each other so that our body is built up here and everywhere else you go, right? If, oh well, I'll get to an analogy in a minute. that will make it make sense. But my job is not, see, we get this backwards in the church today. The church thinks they're supposed to equip the pastor to work. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, we're going to pay you to come here and preach to us, and we'll just attend on Sundays, and that's backwards. My job, our job, is to equip you to get to work with your gifts in serving each other and loving each other in this church in order that the body of Christ is built up, okay? And what will happen when this happens, when you guys are equipped and y'all start serving each other and y'all start loving each other, what's gonna happen is we're gonna be unified in the faith. We're gonna come to a deeper knowledge, gnosko, a deep, intimate knowledge of the Son of God. And we're gonna become mature until we are walking in the fullest, the tallest measure of Christ's fullness. Because Jesus is here in each of us, right? But unless we are serving and lifting each other up, we will not walk in his fullness as much as he wants us to. And so. We equip you to get to work so that these end goals can be accomplished. We can be unified, we can know God, we can be mature, we can be walking in his fullness, okay? When I was thinking about it, I, this analogy struck me that's just made so much sense. So the Bible talks about how God has put us together like the skeleton, and then he's compacted us, as the King James says, or he's knit us together. So you got the skeleton, we're all here, and then we got all these tendons and ligaments tying us together, right? And the pastor's job is to get you to work. So pastors, shepherds, evangelists, they're like neurons. Think about it. Like you guys are like the muscles, the tissue, everything like that, all connecting to each other. And then our job is to take a message from the head and stimulate the muscles so that you guys start working. You know what I'm saying? We are supposed to pass what the head says to you and that is supposed to motivate you to get to work. If you've got a body that is not moving, You got two problems. Either the muscles aren't responding to the neurons or the neurons aren't sending the message from the head to the muscles, right? Isn't that cool? That's our job. We are like neurons spread out all over the body, but we're not just here for you to lay like this and we can tell you what the head says. You're supposed to do something with the message of the head, right? You're supposed to move. You're supposed to activate. That is what our job is. If we're not doing that, something's wrong. So... That's pretty cool, isn't it? And man, what a responsibility. Like when I get ready to preach a message, I'm not thinking, what would be a really cool message? What would really get people to think I'm an awesome speaker, you know? I'm going before God, God's put it on my heart what book to teach through. I'm saying, okay, God, what do you want to tell the church? What do you want to tell the church through me? Because that's my job. Right? And it's not as mystical as it sounds. Sometimes it's just looking at it and reading what God has already said right there, right? But I am trying to stay open to God. Say, God, what do you want to impart to the church through me? That's my job, to be a neuron. The hope is that you guys will be motivated to work. So, how does a pastor complete his responsibility? Now we're going to get into 2 Timothy. So, if you got your Bible and you want to turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 3. If not, it'll be on the screen. We're going to start in verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. So Paul begins to, out of this this beginning part that we're going to read, he begins to tell Timothy how to be a good pastor. So he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so what's cool about this is, Paul is telling Timothy, hey, one of the most important things you can do in thinking about pastoring your church is you need to preach the word. He just finishes talking about the scriptures and how they're inspired and how they're trustworthy. And he says, and so you need to preach these scriptures. Now, I want to take kind of a rabbit trail that's going to tie back in here, but I didn't get to get to this last time, and it's just really cool. I want to talk to you just for a second about the nature of the scriptures. So, last time I preached, we talked about how trustworthy they are, right? But. The nature of the scriptures is amazing. Some people want to know like, how did God write the scriptures? Cause it says here that it's God breathed or it's inspired by God. Does that mean God just like picked up the writer's hand like a zombie, you know, and, or did he tell him word for word what to write? Like they're just, God's like, write Isaiah chapter six, you know, and so he writes it out. Like, how did it work? So let's just look at that real quick because there's a cool truth about this so we can learn. Um, so l- look at how the scriptures are to be understood uh i think it's peter no yeah peter is talking to the other disciples and it says brothers the scripture had to be fulfilled which the holy spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of david concerning judas so the point of this thing is in the middle of a conversation but he says hey the scriptures were spoken by the holy spirit through the mouth of david and again the question is how does this work did did david like become possessed but in a good way you know and like he just starts talking he can't control himself like How did it work? I think it works like this. And this is why this is cool. Let's say you're driving down the road. I know Courtney does this sometimes and and Rochelle. You're driving down the road and you see a homeless person and you feel moved of God to go help that person, right? Like God just drops on your heart. Hey, go, go buy him lunch or do something, right? And so you have a choice right then. You can obey that prompting of the Holy Spirit or you can reject it. You obey it, you become in line with the Holy Spirit. And so you could say that that homeless person was fed by the Holy Spirit through the mouth, I mean, through the hand of Courtney, right? That homeless person was fed by the Holy Spirit through the hand of Rochelle, see what I'm saying? And I think it's very similar with how the scriptures are written. The Holy Spirit was leading these people and they obeyed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's like, hey, I want you to write this down. And they're like, okay. And they start writing down what the Holy Spirit is putting on their heart. And so the Holy Spirit spoke or wrote through their hand and through their mouth. Look at this. Peter's talking about it elsewhere. And he says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Look at this. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture came from someone's own interpretation, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? What a great way to describe it. And it's again, the same thing. You fed that homeless person as you were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I think the reason this is cool to me is because God is still doing this today. Like the way, I'm not saying any of us are gonna write scripture, but the way he moved people to write scripture, which is awesome and amazing, he is still moving in his children today. God still wants to carry us along and have us do great and amazing things if we will join with him. And I mean, think about it. All they were doing was just obeying what they didn't know. Like, I don't think David, when he wrote the Psalms, was like, I think I'm gonna write a scripture song today that will last for the next you know, 4,000 years. He didn't know, but God was putting it on his heart and he obeyed that leading. And man, something amazing happened that still touches us today. You go feed that homeless person And you don't know what that can do in their life. You're just obeying as the Holy Spirit carries you along. And God can do things in that person's life. You had no idea, right? God is still moving in that way today. One more verse. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. And this is neat. I just love seeing the teamwork here. They were inquiring what person or time the spirit in Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were not ser- they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look." Man, that was a long sentence too. Gosh, these guys like to write. Okay, so this is neat, because what's cool about the inspiration of the scriptures is like sometimes they didn't even know what they were talking about. Like, it's like, okay, the spirit in me is indicating that some dude is gonna suffer and all the stuff is gonna go down. They didn't even totally understand it. They just knew God wanted them to write it, right? And man, if God puts something on your heart to do, you don't have to figure it all out, why? You just do it and let God work it out, right? They didn't even know what they were talking about, but it's like, man, God wants me to write this down. Sometimes they didn't know what they were talking about. A lot of times they did, but sometimes they didn't. And what's neat about it is he's like, hey, these guys wrote the scriptures by the Holy Spirit, And now us guys here, we preach to you the gospel by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is still working. First, he wrote it. Now he's moving people to preach it. And the Holy Spirit is still working today in us who are willing to listen to him and let him guide us. I wanna be a kind of Christian that God could use to write the scriptures if he wanted to. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying he's gonna do that in me, but man, I wanna be like, God, if you got something for me to do, I don't have to understand it. I don't have to figure it all out. I just wanna do it, amen? Isn't that cool? So that's how the scriptures are written. And Peter, I mean, Paul tells Timothy that you are supposed to take these scriptures written by the Holy Spirit, and by the Holy Spirit, you are supposed to teach them to your church in order to help them grow. This is really neat. I put these, I know it's kind of small, I'm sorry, but I, the only way I could put them both side by side. But at the end of 2 Timothy 3, this is what he said. He says, scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, right? And then over here, he tells him, teach, reprove, rebuke or correct and exhort or train in righteousness, right? And so Paul is telling Timothy like, hey, the Bible is a pastor's toolkit. If you wanna be a good pastor, you take this, which is profitable for everything you're supposed to do, and you use it for teaching, for correction, for training, and righteousness. Now, these words here of reprove and rebuke and stuff. Reprove means to help somebody when they're in the wrong, when they're heading in the wrong direction. It doesn't mean they're uh, uh, diso- It doesn't mean they're like rebellious. It just means like they're heading in the wrong way, and you kind of correct them. You help guide them, right? Rebuke means somebody is rebellious and you stand against them and you say, hey, this is wrong, this is not right, okay? It's, it's a little more firm than reproving, right? And then exhorting is encouraging, it's spurring you on to love and good deeds. And that is a pastor's job. And I want you to notice this last part, it says, with complete patience and teaching. And man, to me personally, that is so important because I've been under somebody who when he didn't like what you were doing, The gloves came off, man, and he would cuss at you. He would scream sometimes. And he was a pastor, right? And there was a lot of good things about this guy, right? But a pastor is not, there's no excuse for us to just lose our fruits of the spirit because you're making us angry or you're not acting right, right? Like if we don't wanna be patient with you, then we need to find a different job because we're supposed to be patient. And again, I'm talking to us, but again, I want you to understand this is what a pastor is supposed to be. And I wanna tell you something else. If you've got a pastor who's telling you, who's annoyed at you because you ask too many questions, if he tells you, look, just accept it, I've studied the Bible, just take my word for it, that is not what a pastor is supposed to do either because we're supposed to do it with complete patience and teaching. I am supposed to be somebody who's willing to take the time to talk to you and walk with you as long as it takes until you feel confident in the truth, right? And it's not easy. Again, this is why this is a gifting because we need the grace of God to have the wisdom and the patience to teach. I'm not saying you guys are annoying. I'm just saying like <laughs> like it's not always easy to, you know, overcome communication barriers and, and get to that place where you can fully communicate the truth to somebody else. It takes time, it takes effort, but this is a pastor's job. Don't be discouraged from asking questions. If there's a sermon you don't understand, Ask your pastor. That's their job. That's why we're here. We want to hear from you, Scott and I. I know I can say that for sure. We want you to question us. We want you to feel confident that what we're teaching you is true. And if we're wrong, we wanna change, you know? Uh, That's the crazy thing about being a pastor is like, man, we're still figuring stuff out, you know? And we're coming up here as best we can, asking God to guide us so we can share with you the truth. But sometimes we don't have things 100% figured out. And like I was telling somebody here not too long ago, I wish more pastors could be honest about it and say, hey, this is what I think as best as I can, but I'm not 100% sure, I'm still figuring it out, and I encourage you to study it for yourself. Unfortunately, in our culture today, when somebody gets a following, when they have tons of people YouTubing them and stuff, everybody wants them to be the Bible answer man, you know? And so they need to know the exact right thing on everything. They need to figure out Calvinism and predestination. They need to figure out, exactly how Jesus's death rescues us from sin and all these things, you know, they need to know everything. And so you ask them a question, they are like, well, this is what the Bible definitely says, you know? And I'm sitting there listening to them and I'm like, I don't think that's right sometimes, you know? Like, I think you might be wrong. And I wish we could just be more honest and be like, you know what, there's a lot of stuff we're still figuring out. That's okay, you know? So again, tying back into what I was saying, don't be afraid to ask. That's our job to teach and walk with you guys. And it's so important. It's so important that we take our job as pastors seriously. It's so important that you guys know what good pastors are because uh, it's a gifting calling and responsibility. I meant to go to this verse next, but it says, "'For the time is coming when people "'will not endure sound teaching, "'but having itching ears, "'they will accumulate for themselves teachers "'to suit their own passions. "'They will turn away from listening to the truth, "'they'll wander off into mists. As for you, though, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So the thing that's sad about this passage is there will be people who wander from the truth, right? But the thing that's sadder to me about it is that there will be people who are willing to teach those people that wander from the truth, right? There will be people who are promulgating the lies that these people wander to. That's the thing that makes me sad, and it makes me sad to think about standing before God and having been a pastor like that, you know? I, I don't wanna be that, that way. I remember <laughs> this guy in the neighborhood we work in, he's got his problems, but I have a lot of respect for him. One time he told me, he said, Luke, you know why I don't preach the prosperity gospel? And I was like, why? He's like, cause I don't wanna to go to hell. <laughs> and I was like, all right, absolutely. <laughs> But real talk, I mean, imagine leading sheep astray. Imagine leading sheep into shipwreck and then sometime stand and in one day standing before God and him holding you accountable for every single sheep. Oh my god. I can't imagine. So, and I say oh my god, seriously, I wasn't just trying to use his name in vain there. All right. Now, these are the things I want you to take away, okay? Pastoring is a gifting, a calling and a responsibility. These are the three things I'd like you to take away that, or takeaways for me and hopefully for you. First of all, I'm thankful that we have this kind of pastor in our church, you know? I'm thankful for Scott. And he cried at Thanksgiving, I guess I'll cry at Christmas. But anyways, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's uh, one of the things that drew me to this church and, and the thing that's kept me here is Scott. You know, it's like, I know him probably better than most of you in this church. We talk a lot. He shared with me his struggles, and I can tell you that he's a good man, you know? He's a person of integrity, and I thank God for that. Scott isn't perfect. We disagree on things sometimes, but he's growing, you know, and he is the kind of person that I feel proud to call my pastor and to follow, and I'm thankful for that. And I want to ask you guys to pray for us because... This is a small church, but it's still a big responsibility, you know, to be the kind of man that God wants us to be. We have jobs, we have responsibilities, we have things that fill up our time. We're still figuring a lot of things out. Sometimes we don't know the answers and we make mistakes. And so I just wanna ask you guys to pray for us as we seek to be godly pastors. We need your support. We need your encouragement, you know? Ask for your, your prayers. And then the last thing I wanted to say, is I wanna encourage you guys that all the stuff I'm talking about for pastoring, gifting, calling, responsibility, they don't just apply to pastors. Like I was talking about earlier, each of you have a gifting. And like I've talked about before in another sermon, your gifting is your calling. Whatever God has gifted you to do, that's where he wants you to serve in the church. And so you have a gifting, you have a calling and you have a responsibility. And I wanna encourage you to pursue that. Our job is to motivate you to walk in your gifting and your calling and serve each other in the church, right? So just as like Scott and I are trying to take this seriously and we're trying to walk in our gifting and our calling, I wanna encourage you to do the same thing. Ask God where he wants you in the church and how you're supposed to serve. Take that seriously. So that's all I got. Katie, if you wanna come up, uh, we're gonna wrap up. I'm gonna pray. And if you have any questions about this sermon, please ask me. (laughs) That's my job, so. (laughs) And I hope, uh, I hope this encourages you and uh, gives you some good things to think about as far as what a pastor is. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for being with us. And God, I thank you that, Lord, wherever you call, wherever you guide, you provide, God. And I know you're providing for this church. You provided a, a godly pastor in Scott. And Lord, I know for every person you brought here you're providing for them to be able to serve and walk in their gifting. And so God, as I've been thinking about taking my calling seriously, I pray that you would help all of us to do that, to really get serious about serving you and following you and doing what it is that you want us to do. Help us, God, to be a church that doesn't equip the pastor to preach, but where everyone is equipped to serve and build each other up, God. Help us to be the church you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.